Good morning. Welcome to Grace Point Virtual Church. We are so glad that you are here with us today. Uh, as always, please uh, reach out to us so that uh, we know who is watching online. Uh, it's very helpful to me so that I know who I'm communicating with. And so as I start today, I, I do have uh, people in mind who I know that are watching. And so good morning to you all. I hope you're having a wonderful Sunday morning. Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn over to Galatians chapter 1. Uh, we're just going to look at a couple of verses in, Gal- in Galatians chapter 1, but we're really going to spend our time in Acts chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and find Galatians chapter 1 and then find uh, Acts chapter 15. Um, I do want to say thank you for supporting the Okas during this time of the, the tragic loss of their son. Um, and and so it's just a difficult time. Please keep them in your prayers. Please please also keep uh, Yolanda Rios in your prayers um, as she mourns the loss of her sister. The the funeral for them is going to be in a couple of weeks. Uh, today's happy. It's Valentine's Day, so a happy Valentine's Day to you. Uh, one of the things that's always been unique about restarting uh, Grace Point Church, or at the time it was Valley Baptist Church, we just went through a name change. Um, it is the amount of widows that we started with. And so I, I forget the exact number, but we started when Ann and I came, there were probably like 10 or so, maybe 10 to 15 people. And, and probably 10 of those were widows. And so, uh, Throughout the New Testament and Old Testament, there 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 are special instructions uh, to God's people uh, concerning the care of of widows, and so it's just always you know Valentine's Day, especially as uh, being here for fourteen years or just on the precipice of fourteen years. Um, that there's new widows, and many of the widows I've sort of walked through the process of their their spouse passing away, and so. Um, uh, for those of you widows who are watching, um, we love you. We're praying for you. Um, James one twenty seven says, "Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this: to visit orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep one's self unstained by the world." And so, uh, we we always like to try to make uh, a special gesture to the, the widows during this time, and so. We've tried to do that, and so um, we're just praying for you. We love you, and before we start, we're gonna we'll pray for you, and we'll pray for our time together in the Word. So let's pray, uh, Father. We do thank you and praise you for this day, Lord. We um, have been entrusted as as a congregation to a to a handful of widows, and so Father, we pray for them on this day, uh, Lord Valentine's Day, which. Uh, they are without their spouse. And so we pray that uh, you would help them to uh, just to give you thanks uh, for their spouse, that you would encourage them uh, today and every day. I pray that you would help us as, as a body to, uh, to love and to care for the, the widows as we uh, can, just the best that we can do. We pray that you would help us to keep them in our, our minds and our thoughts and that we would love on them and that we would care for them as best as we can. And Lord, as we turn our attention to the the scripture today, Lord, I do pray that you would help us 
to have a better understanding of, of the context in which Galatians was set and how we can relate to it today. Uh, Lord, there, we might not wrestle with issues of circumcision and salvation, but we pray, Father, that you would help us to see uh, barriers that we place in the way of, of people's relationship with you. We pray that you would give us a better understanding of your grace and help us to become better defenders of your grace. And may we walk in grace all the days of our life. And it's in Jesus' good name we pray. Amen. Okay, so if you have Galatians opened, in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, I'm, gonna just, I'm just going to read these two verses. Um, and here we read Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which we have preached, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, and I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. And Father, we do thank you for your word. We ask that you would help us as we enter into Galatians and really into Acts chapter 15. We pray that you would bless our time, and it's in Jesus' good name we pray. Amen. All right, so you can just sort of shift over to to um, to Acts chapter fifteen now, but but really when we read the these next verses that we're going to get to next Sunday, um, Paul's amazed in in a bad way. He is uh, calling them out, challenging them for deserting Jesus, really deserting grace. Um, uh, sort of polluting the gospel, saying that Jesus died on the cross, uh, but you have to do these things to sort of uh, complete the transaction. And this is a distortion of the gospel, and Paul, Paul is furious at this letter, in this letter. And, and within this, as he's addressing the, the Galatians, he's dealing with these churches that are located in southern Turkey, uh, it was a letter that was to be circulated, but the problem really was was kind of global at the time. And so this was this is a part of a bigger battle. And this letter, we believe, or I believe, it, it was penned just before he took off to the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter fifteen. And he was he they had called sort of this this gathering to. To, to really bring the Gentile believers and the Jewish believers together, uh, mainly the Jewish believers, the, the, the leaders, the apostles of the church, to, um, to, to, to really work through these details and these issues because they're a huge, huge deal. And so uh, for us to understand Galatians, we have to sort of 
see and understand what happened in Acts chapter 15 so that we can kind of get a, a, a better picture. So if you turn over to Acts chapter 15, which I asked you to do already, we're going to work our way through this, this chapter. We have a lot of material to work through. I'm going to have to go quickly. My aim is to sort of give the you know, broad stroke over what happened uh, historically so that we can better understand uh, Paul in Galatians. And so over in Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 3, we read, Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had a heated argument and debate with them, the brothers determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. And so first we're introduced in this initially initial sort of opening uh, course of, about uh, what is going on here. We're introduced to some men came down from Judea. So Judea is uh, sort of in the south, the region where Jerusalem finds itself. Um, you could, uh, you know, Jerusalem down to the Dead Sea area, uh, heavy Jewish region. And they came down, so don't, like, don't let that confuse, they came down, they actually went north, uh, they went down in elevation to Antioch, and Antioch is sort of on the far northern, if you have a Bible map, you'll just keep going north, um, it's north of modern day Israel, and in Antioch is where the, the Gentile church uh, really became sort of the, the new headquarters, it was sort of the launching place to go out to the world to share the gospel. And so these men came down from Judea and they began teaching the brothers. So these Gentile converts uh, that had become the, the Gentile church up there, very sort of at this time in history was sort of distinct. There was the, the Jewish church in Jerusalem that was thriving under Peter. Then God raised up Paul and Paul was a Jewish man and was very established in the Jewish religion. And God used him to reach the Gentiles, and, and so headquartered up in Antioch. But they were, there were these two groups sort of functioning independently of one another, and so there was, there was room for some, 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 some conflict. And so these, uh, these individuals, these men came down in a very dogmatic way, and they said, you all cannot be saved unless you were circumcised according to the custom of Moses. And so they said all of this saved by grace is, is, is good, but you can't be saved unless you um, actually follow through with, with our, our customs and traditions. And now circumcision was a very Jewish tradition. Uh, it was a promise given to, uh, to the nation of Israel, sort of that God's hand was on them to sort of set them apart from the other people. And so they said, unless you don't go through with the whole um, becoming Jewish and participating in our, our cultures and traditions, you can't be saved. Uh, I, I don't know if you've ever experienced something like this, not so much in circumcision, uh, but I experienced in seminary, there was an individual who I didn't really know. He found out that I was a Navy SEAL and kind of going through seminary. He, um, he apparently had gone through Hell Week 
made it through Hell Week, and then was dropped from training after that. And so he kind of befriended me, and we, we, you know, he um, there were there there were some mutual connections based on our life that we'd been through Hell Week, and and as we got to know one another, uh, I started to learn that he was sort of uh, of of a more charismatic persuasion. And during one break, I was talking with him, and we were. He was kind of dogmatic in his position, and I'm not charismatic, and 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 so I was just kind of hearing from him and what his experience was, and how he got there, and what he held, and and uh, and then the 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 issue of speaking in tongues came up, and clearly, like I I don't hold to that position in that context. I don't know you may or may not know what my position is, um, but I'm not one that that really supports the speaking of tongues and. Uh, that's a whole other issue. But he looked at me and he said, well, if you haven't spoken in tongues, then I would, I would j- seriously question your salvation. And so in essence, he said, well, I, you're, you're, you're a friend. I appreciate you. I think you're doing good things. But if you haven't spoken in tongues, I don't think you're saved. And and so uh, this, this is what they're saying. If you're not circumcised, you're not saved. Unless you do this work, unless you do these things, then you can't be saved. And, and so in our world, it's a little bit different. Obviously, these aren't issues that I, I don't think a lot of us are grappling with. But there are things that we sort of put in, in the way of, of the gospel and of, of grace. Jesus did the work alone, and so... Uh, we might question our, our behavior and attitudes and how we do certain things. And, and certainly, as you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit indwells you and begins the sanctification process. And, and we, we do begin to change, and we begin to show evidence of the fruit of the Spirit. Um, but these works don't save us. And so th- this is a, a big, for them to say you can't be saved, Paul and Barnabas had a hard time. And it said that they, they entered into this this heated argument and debate, like they, they, this, these are like dogs fighting with one another over these issues. These are these are these are core elements, and that's really even on the issue of tongues. Like I'm, while I don't hold to it, I have brothers and sisters that do. And to me, uh, where it becomes like a fighting issue is if somebody was to say it's a, they measure your salvation by speaking in tongues or they measure your your progress in the Christian life based on your speaking in tongues. But apparently this debate was so heated and it was hard for the church to understand who was right or, you know, quote-unquote winning the debate. They reasoned that it would be good for them to send Paul and Barnabas and a contingent of people to Jerusalem to settle the matter. And so we come to verse 3. And in verse 3, we, we, we read, Therefore, after being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and they were bringing great joy to all of the brothers and sisters. And so they're, they're, this picture is they're, they're walking their way to Jerusalem as they're walking sort of shoulder to shoulder. Uh, Paul and Barnabas are, are recounting stories of things that had happened to them while they were um, out on, on the missionary journey, the first missionary journey, these, these new believers who were Gentiles who had come to faith and the great things that had happened. And so everybody's, 
ecstatic that, that people are coming to Christ and, and they're growing and these wonderful signs are, are happening amongst them. And then we come to verse 4. Uh, verses 4 through 12, I've sort of labeled as the great debate in Jerusalem. So we have all of these. I mean, this would have been a, a, an amazing time. These, these are the, the apostles. They have been apart from Jesus for some years. I mean, we're talking decades now at this point. And they've matured. They're the leaders of the church. And they're going to have a vigorous conversation over salvation and how do Jews and Gentiles who have repented and, and come to faith in Christ, how do they coexist with their different backgrounds and their different uh, worldviews in a lot of ways? And so in verse 4 we read, when they arrived in Jerusalem, they were well received by the church, the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done uh, with them. And so they arrive in there and, and they're received by the church. These are the believers, the local church who have come to faith in Christ. They were Jewish. They were in Jerusalem. Um, probably there were some Gentiles there, but in large part, the, the, the composite of the church is, is Jewish. We see the elders. So we have the 12, the 12 apostles, um, who Matthias had been added in. We had we talked about this, and certainly Paul the Apostle uh, was was present. We have the elders, those that were the, the pastors and leaders of, of the churches. And they reported all that had God had done with them. And so just like the journey up, they'd been sharing about the, the, the work that the Holy Spirit had been doing amongst them, amongst non-Jewish people in Gentile territory, and how people were responding and coming to Christ, and the, the church is flourishing. And then we come to verse 5, but some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed, so these are Pharisees who had believed in Christ, they, they did believe in Christ. Um, they stood up saying it is necessary to circumcise them and then to direct them to keep the law of Moses. So Pharisees, they had walked with God their whole lives. They had studied the, the Jewish text. They the Old Testament, they had gone through all of these things. And then when they were presented with Jesus, they rightly saw him as the Messiah. And so now they have all of their traditions and their, they didn't see Jesus as, as a, in conflict with the Old Testament, which he was not. And so Jesus became a part of, he was the Messiah over the Jewish faith. And so they're contending that Judaism wasn't disrupted with Jesus, it was fulfilled with Jesus. And so now these people who are coming to the Messiah, they need to adhere to the Jewish law, to, to circumcise them, that work, and then also to keep the law of, of Moses. This is, these are, these, this is heated discussion on both sides. And certainly remember, Paul, who was on the opposing side, is a Pharisee. He was a leading Pharisee and, and was on the, the pathway to become uh, the, the leader of the Sanhedrin. Uh, the Bible knowledge commentary on this debate, I like what it had to say. It said, the method of justification ultimately determines the method of sanctification. 
And so what they're saying, though, is if you're Jewish and if you think that you're getting saved by your works, that means that you're also progressing in the, your, your Christian faith according to works. And so uh, on the other end, if you believe that you are justified standing before God as by grace alone, then your progression will also be based on grace and not on works. It's, it's huge. It's, it's a seismic shift in thinking. And so the apostles in verse 6, the apostles and elders came together to look into this matter after there had been much debate. I mean, these guys are going at it. I, I mean, I sensed that this was a, a heated argument and yelling and real passion and emotion. Finally, Peter is the, the leader over the Jewish church. He's the one that, that Jesus really appointed to reach the Jews. He stands up and he says to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. And so now when Peter stands up, now I remember I've said that Peter is the, the apostle that God used to reach the Jews. But about 10 years prior to this, this event, going back five chapters to Acts chapter 10, there, there was the story of, of Cornelius. And so Cornelius was a, a Gentile man in Caesarea on the coast and Peter had this vision of the sheet and the animals, and he's told to basically head up there and to speak to Cornelius. And, and Cornelius comes to faith, he speaks in tongues, and this was like a huge thing for Peter. So this is Peter was there for the first time when a, when a Gentile converted uh, to, to, Jude, to, to, to receiving Jesus as Messiah, but in their minds to, to Judaism, and uh, you're not going to find in the text, but there's like three instances where uh, in Acts where tongues happens. There's the first in Acts chapter two, uh, where um, where the church is established, the Holy Spirit is given, and they begin speaking in these languages, known languages that were unknown to them as the whole world was there, and so people heard the gospel in their own language. Now, if you fast forward to Acts chapter ten, Peter relates these events sort of back to Acts chapter 2, sort of saying that the, the tongues, these languages that we're speaking, were, um, were, were sort of to, to, to seam them all together or to tie them all together to sort of give um, the authority of God over this, that he had done this work and that the two groups were really one. You're not going to find it in the Bible, but I, I totally, in my own mind, I think in Acts chapter 10 when Cornelius converted to Christ as his Gentile individual, when he spoke in tongues, I think that he shared the gospel in perfect Hebrew, a language that he wouldn't have known, so that Peter's like cage would be rattled a little bit. And so he says, looking back to that incident 10 years ago with Cornelius, he said he made no, God made no distinction between us and them, and he cleansed their hearts. They were saved by faith alone, not by anything that they had done. And verse 10, he continues, since this is the case, why are you putting God to the test? So he's 
scolding the Pharisees who had become believers. He said, why are you, why are you trying to add what, to what God didn't do? And he's like, I, we all know I was there when the first Gentile converted and the whole encounter that I had. And he says, why are you putting God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke? Now a yoke, we know this as sort of a, what an animal wears around their, their neck for, for like an ox for plowing. But it also during this time became to be understood as uh, the rabbi's teaching, his uh, how to live out the faith. And he says, why would you, you placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke or a teaching, which neither our forefathers nor we have been able to bear? And Peter, in a very candid moment, says, we cannot keep the law. Like, we can do our best, but we will fall short. And if we can't keep the law, and if our forefathers can't keep the law, why in the world would you place this upon these Gentile converts? And he assures, uh, I'm sorry, I was going on, my train of thought got lost there. Uh, Verse 11, but we believe that we are saved through the grace of, of the Lord Jesus in the same way they are. He says, this is the case. We as Jews are saved by grace alone. They as Gentiles are saved by grace alone. Stop testing God. No one can keep it. In Galatians 5.4, which Paul would write and which we'll get to eventually, he says, you have been, Galatians 5.4, you have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by the law, you have fallen by grace. You have fallen from grace. He's saying if you're trying to maintain the law, then you're, you're, you're severed from Christ. If you're trying to live by works, then you no longer have grace. You can't do it. He said if you want to keep the law and you fail at one point, then you fail at the whole law. Like this, this is huge. You're saved by grace alone. You live by grace as a Christian. We need to be gracious people. It's not about works, what we do do or we don't do. It's not about us. It's about what Jesus did on the cross exclusively. In verse 12, he continues, all the people kept silent and they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating all the signs and wonders that God had done through them among the Gentiles. Just the silence. I imagine kids sitting there, it's like their parents are uh, having a heated discussion about something. And Paul and Barnabas are sharing, like they then begin to add to what Peter said. And he's like, guys, listen, when we were out, God was doing these extraordinary miracles and wonderful things amongst the Gentiles that we can't even explain. God's hand was clearly working. And then we come to verses 13 through 21, and the verdict of how they are going to handle this is sort of given. Verse 13, after they stopped speaking, James, this is Jesus's half-brother. They shared the same mother, different fathers, because Jesus's father is heavenly father, uh, James's father was Joseph. James, who doubted during Jesus's earthly ministry, had grown into a key leader in the early church. 
And James responded saying, brothers, listen to me. Simeon, that's Peter, has described how God first concerned himself about taking a people for his name from among the Gentiles. James determined that God was indeed at work amongst Paul and Barnabas with the Gentiles as they were saying and as they were sharing by grace alone. He goes on to say in verses 15, the words of the prophet agree with this just as it is written. He turns this scripture in Amos, I believe it's Amos, uh, where are we at? Amos chapter 9, verses 11 through 12. So he goes to scripture and he says it's verified by scripture. And this is what he quotes from scripture. After these things, I will return and I will rebuild the fallen tabernacle of David and I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who makes these things known from long ago. So he says, back in Amos, God has already always talked about this rebuilding and this gathering and grafting the Gentiles in. This, this isn't something that should be so surprising to us. It, it's foretold of by God. Verse 19, therefore, based on this truth, this reality, this assessment, it is my judgment that we do not cause trouble for those who abstain for those, excuse me, it is my judgment that we do not cause trouble for those from the Gentiles who are turning to God. So we don't, we don't stumble them, we don't create any trouble for them. He goes on to say, but what they can do, but, we, but that we write to them that they abstain from the things contaminated by idols, from acts of sexual immorality, from what has been strangled, and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has those who preach to him in every city, since he is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. And so um, he moves from theological debate to sort of practical compromise. He says, we're not going to be a, a stumbling block to them saying that they have to, to, to start obeying the law of Moses they're not going to have to be circumcised. They don't need to do this. But we will ask them uh, to be mindful of, of the Jews that are scattered all around. And they, they, they effectively give three things. They, there are three things that seem sort of odd for us, but we're so far removed from, from the context. And so what does he list? He, uh, from things contaminated from idols, as we work our way through the New Testament, we'll see that uh, one of the issues that was sort of a, a, a hot point for them is is meat at the market. And so the Jews would not buy meat that had been sacrificed to an idol. They would only use meat that had, was, was pure. Now, the pure meat was more expensive. We'll see that Paul talks about this, that, that the others who see the meat is like, well, sacrifice an idol, but an idol is nothing. And... And and so we can get that meat at a fraction of the price. It's the same thing. It's just you know, but 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 it would be very offensive to to like an Orthodox Jewish person at the time. And so James says, okay, let's let's uh, let's 
let's, let's abstain from things that have been contaminated by idols. He goes on from to abstain from acts of sexual immorality. This obviously would be a no-brainer. Like we, we see this in the New Testament. But in the context, in the pagan religion, sexual immorality was so like interwoven into like the Greek practice of worship. And so he's, he's clarifying that these are things that, that, it's, that they have to, to, to not do. They need to conform their thinking of sexuality to, the, to what God has revealed in Scripture. And then he says, from what has been strangled and from blood. And so throughout the Old Testament, the blood is the life. And so any sort of, uh, like, you know, drinking of blood or, like, I, I'm, I, I don't have a lot of experience with blood sausage, but, but, but we're to avoid the blood. I don't, we're not talking about, like, a, a rare steak or something like that. We're talking about the actual blood. And so... There's some compromise here, and I think there's a lot of lessons in this for us as as we as Christians within the Christian ranks. There's a lot of different variants of of convictions and views, and and things that in our right hand that we like fight and die for, and things in our left hand which like I might have deep convictions over here, but I can't project them onto you or to others. The Life Application Bible call, Commentary says this. There was a sense in which the Jews needed to be patient with these new Gentile believers who were not familiar with the Old Testament law and rituals. So on, on one side, the, the Jews who had been Jews their whole life, they encounter the Messiah, they still practice their old life in Judaism, and they have Jesus as their Lord. They needed to be patient with these unchurched people who didn't have that same backdrop the same experience and and for them to become jewish it, it it didn't seem like that's what god was asking of them and so they needed to have a little like patience t- towards them and and uh, okay, being okay with the different culture here but then it, the commentary goes on to say there was a sense in which the gentiles needed to be sensitive to the jews who were there first being careful not to offend their weaker conscience. And so while the Jews had to be sort of uh, sensitive and and patient with them, the the Gentiles also had an obligation to recognize that they, you know, according to Romans, that we have been grafted into the Jewish faith. And so we need to be cautious about their sensitivity. And so what does that look like? Well, I, it, could, it could look like a lot of different things. Um, it could have to do with, like, for us, like types of music. It could have types of things that you're watching on TV. It could have to do with, like, a meal, literally, if you have a Jewish family over that is, are Christians or not. Like, don't serve them pork ribs, you know? Like, there, there are things that we just need to be sensitive to say, you know what? As Paul said, I want to become all people, all things to all people, so that I might win some. Like, like we want to be sensitive to the other. We want to put others first, and to to really be sensitive in these things. And I, I think it was uh, he reached a like a wise conclusion while maintaining grace and defending grace. He would not compromise there. Then verse twenty two, we see. Then it seemed good to the apostles and to the elders with the whole church. 
to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. Judas, who was called Barasabas, Barsabas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers, and they sent this letter with them. And so they sent a contingent of, from both sides of the aisle with this letter to go to the churches. Um, so the apostles and brothers, this is the letter, the apostles and the brothers who are elders, to the brothers and sisters in Antioch, Syria, Cilicia. This seems to be moving up north to, the, to where the, the church was located in Antioch, and then heading, sort of making the turn to the west into modern-day Turkey, which is where Galatia was located. And so what Paul addresses in Galatians, this sort of becomes a fortification of what he says, confirming his teaching. Uh, he says, so this seems to be like a letter within Acts, like, like an epistle. Uh, this is the who's writing it, the apostles and brothers who are elders, to the brothers and sisters in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia who are from the Gentiles. Greetings. So just like we started with the Galatians, this is the beginning of the letter, um, the who it's written from and who it's to. Since we have heard that some of our number to whom we gave no instruction have confused you by their teaching, upsetting your souls, they're acknowledging that these Jewish brothers who are teaching this are part of their own. They said, we, we've heard what they have done. We didn't give them the instruction. They've upset your souls. Like this is, if you think that you're standing good with God and they come in and they say that you're not standing with God and they're telling you to get right with God by getting circumcised and by obeying the law of Moses, this would be disturbing. And he said, it seemed good to us, having become of one mind, to select men to send to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, therefore, having sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials. Saying you're saved by grace alone, and then we ask you not to do these things, these essential things, that you abstain from things sacrificed to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from acts of sexual immorality. If you do, if you keep yourself free from such things, you will do well. Farewell. This is a beautiful little letter, short, sweet, to the point. They they ask something of the Gentiles. They acknowledge the wrong of the Jews that were spreading these things. They maintain grace. They tried to reach some compromise so that they could all get along and and really provide unity within the body of Christ. When we get to the epistles, as as we've gone through Thessalonians and Ephesians and 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 just like Romans, all of these letters, there's this 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 they're they're working this out. And how do these two groups become one in Christ? Verse 30, when they were sent away, they went down to Antioch. So they went north to Antioch. And gathering the congregation together, they gathered, uh, they delivered the letter. So they get everybody together, they read the letter, they share what had happened and the outcome. And they had maintained grace. When they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Everybody was happy. Then in verse 32, if I didn't overshot of... 
Yep, verse 32, uh, Judas and Silas also being prophets themselves encouraged and strengthened the brothers and sisters with a lengthy message. I love, today, we're about 40 minutes right now. It's a lengthy message and I need to move along, but you can find encouragement in lengthy messages. Amen? I think I heard an amen from you. Uh, after they had spent time there, they were sent away from the brothers and sisters in peace to those who had sent them out. But Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. So, so they, the group kind of separates. Paul and Barnabas stay in Antioch. They continue teaching and the ministry that they had, uh, that they were a part of, and it flourished. And then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let's return and visit to the brothers and sisters in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. And so this letter went out, the teaching went out. Then after some time, you know, Paul had already written Galatians, and now he wants to go back and see how they're doing, to see that how grace was flourishing and how they were responding and to make sure that doctrine had taken root. And they, you know, they hit, they hit a little snag in the road in verses 37 through the end. We don't need to go into all of that. But basically, they have this disagreement over John Mark, and basically Barnabas takes John Mark, and they go one way. Paul takes Silas, they go another way, they get into Turkey, they pick up Timothy, and they minister in, in that region. If we were to continue through Acts, we would see that they ministered all the churches, and then they got to the far western edge of Turkey, and that's when they got the, the Macedonian vision, and then they were called over to Greece, and that's where we spent a lot of the last few months in Thessalonians. And so this is a lot to cover. A bit historical, and and so so what what do we do with it? Like why why are we over here looking at this? I do think that this debate and the tension and this is the backdrop to Galatians, and and next week when we see the passion, like Paul is going to say that twice next week. May, may they be accursed if they're teaching another gospel. Like like he literally is damning bad theology. This is not politically correct, and he's going after them. And so the, the issue that is so critical is how are we saved? How do we stand before God in right standing? Over the years, there's been so many different sects of Christianity that have come in and saying that it's grace plus works. You need to add to these things in order to make sure that you're right with God. And that's not what the Bible contends. The Bible makes it very clear that we are Saved by grace alone. Some who are opposed to this teaching refer to those like myself and other, and like that, that believe in grace alone. They refer to it as like cheap grace. That that it's it, that grace allows you to basically do whatever you want, and there's no accountability. And I don't think that that's the case at all. That there's a there's a challenge for us under grace, to, to live out our faith. Receiving grace transforms us, and it, it moves us into Christ's likeness. And, and it's, it's, it's not cheap grace. It's a, a grace that has been provided by a huge God and a wonderful Jesus who loves us and cares for us. And so we have an obligation to be passionate guardians of grace. And so my prayer is that you have experienced God's grace, that you have reached a place where you understand that Jesus died for you. He was your substitute on the cross. This gift of salvation is available to you 
by God's grace alone. There's nothing for you to do. We respond to him in faith, but that's not a work. We're responding to his gift. We're accepting the gift. And then we live by grace. Uh, Grace changes us. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you and praise you for this day. I thank you for your word. We thank you for the backdrop here of Galatians. There are many things that it's hard for us to relate to, the idea of being saved by a circumcision. But Lord, it's, it, we, as humans, it's so easy for us to incorporate works into our belief system in, in subtle ways. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to truly understand grace. I pray that as we go through Galatians, that you would help us to understand how glorious it is. Um, Help us to understand our great need for it. To help us to understand that any sort of works that we think that we can do to get right with you are are vanity. Father, I pray that you would help us uh, to respond to your grace for salvation, that we would also respond with our lives, uh, that we would do these works that you have prepared beforehand for us to do, uh, not in trying to get right with you, but because we are right with you. Uh, Father, I pray that you would help us to have clarity on these issues. Father, I pray for any person who is listening right now that is hurting and is uncertain. May you, by your Spirit, lead them to the truth. May you lead them to grace. And may they ultimately walk with you all the days of their life. We love you, Lord. And we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. Well, I hope you have a wonderful day. I do look forward to hearing from you, and I look forward to seeing you next week. May God bless you this week, and have go in peace.